Well, take your Bibles, and if you will turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to begin a series this morning through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's a series titled, United in Christ. United in Christ. And... I'm going to have us consider the first nine verses of this magnificent letter. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you till the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is God's Word. Our message title this morning is A United Identity in Christ. Say that with me. A united identity in Christ. A united identity in Christ. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, you are a loving, caring God. We are so grateful for the privilege of gathering together here in worship. You are who unites us, Lord. And more than anything, we want your will done. When we want to see Jesus, we want to see Jesus in the preaching and the teaching of your word. We want more than information, Lord. We want transformation. Transform us, God, please. Lord, I pray for the sick. I pray for those suffering from this virus. I I pray with King David, who in Psalm 35 even remembered his adversaries who were sick. He lamented. When they were sick, I wore sackcloth. 
I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. Oh God, shall we whose primary identity is is in heaven do less? So I pray for all who are suffering from this virus. I, I pray for our nation's chief executive and all governmental leaders nationally and statewide for healing of body and revival of soul. Lord, please destroy this virus. And I pray for peace among the citizenry. I pray that we will live and speak in a dignified manner as citizens of heaven. I pray for a spiritual awakening in our nation. And Lord, start your revival with this church. Your church, Lord. Your heavenly embassy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you are new here, Um, You may wonder why we spend nearly half our Sunday worship services studying the Bible. Each Sunday we gather here and as a part of our worship service, we have a large group Bible study. And of our 70 minutes together, about half of that time consists of teaching and preaching from Scripture. Why is that? Why is that? Well, in a word, it's identity. Identity. Identity asks big picture questions. Who am I? How did I get here? Why am I here? How does this end? Identity is about self-awareness, self-understanding. Your identity frames what you do. It communicates who you are, and it sets the agenda for your life choices. Your identity propels you. Your identity provides the energy behind your actions. Your identity is the well from which your life is directed and sustained. If you know who you are, if you know what you must do, and if your identity is healthy, then there's a confidence that leads to action. We live out of our identity. So the scriptures are all about shaping identity. We take our teaching time seriously in order to know who God says we are. People would often come to Jesus and they would say, tell me what to do. And Jesus would reply, let me tell you who you are. Because once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And right now, there's a fierce contest going on in your heart over this question. 
Who is your identity authority? Who gets to tell you who you are and why you exist? Who gets to decide your life purpose? Who gets those rights? American culture? Your parents? Your children? Your own self? Will you make the final call? Or will God's word be the decisive voice in this matter of identity formation? So so identity is a primary objective of Bible study. I say all this because the Apostle Paul's opening remarks in this magnificent letter to the Corinthians, it's all about identity. So here's our big idea for today. A united identity in Christ is the strength of our union in Christ. A united identity in Christ. A a single identity, a shared identity, our communal identity in Christ, that's the strength of our union in Christ. As we study these first nine verses in 1 Corinthians, I, I want us to consider, I want us to consider just the strength of identity, the strength of identity, the story of identity. We'll learn how the gospel came to the Corinthians. And then, and then we'll look at the face of the Savior of our identity. Strength and story and Savior. That's where we're going this morning. First, the strength. That's verse 1. Verse 1, Paul speaks to the Corinthians about identity. Verse 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. More on him later. So Paul identifies himself in relationship to God. Paul says that he is a called man. Unlike the the cookie-laden, personalized ads that pop up on our tablets and laptops, ads that inform us that our identity comes from the clothing we wear, the cars we drive, the books we read, the candidates we vote for, Paul says up front, I know who I am. I'm called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Can you feel the strength of that verse? This man knows himself. He knows why he exists. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I represent Jesus Christ. Whenever I enter a space, I never enter on my own behalf. I always enter and live and conduct my relationships and speak on behalf of another. So that means there are certain matters that I am authorized to speak on and certain matters that I am not. And Paul lived and breathed as an emissary representing the highest authority. God called, elected, appointed Paul as Christ's apostolic ambassador to live and speak on behalf of Jesus. Paul knows who he is. He's an apostolic ambassador. And he knows his mission to speak on behalf of the king of kings and to call all people everywhere to repentance and submission to the king's rule. 
Paul knows how he got there. By the will of God. Paul knows his future. Guiltless. Verse 8. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) And do you feel the strength there? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What would your life look like with that level of self-understanding? What if you could put your name on the line of that first verse with the appropriate changes? Gene, called by the will of God to be a lawyer for the glory of Jesus Christ. Mike, called by the will of God to be a physician for the glory of Jesus Christ. Erica, called by the will of God to be an HR specialist for the glory of Jesus Christ. Tim, called by the will of God to be a high school football coach for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, there is tremendous stability in life when you let the Bible define you in relation to God instead of letting the world define you in relation to possessions and social circles and your body type. When you let God define your identity, your outcome is liberty. You're free. And of course, Paul is not the only one called. Look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, that word church is the word ecclesia. And we think of the word church like church facility. (laughs) That's not what was in Paul's mind when he was referring to the Corinthian church. He was referring to the assembly, to the gathering, to the Christian community, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, there it is, called to be saints with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So God's calling is more than just an invitation. It's a summoning. It's a selecting. It's a breakthrough. When God calls you, don't you remember? Your eyes were opened. Your heart was opened. You saw truth that you couldn't see before. The psalmist says, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things written in your word. That's what God does when he calls you. He breaks down the walls of your resistance and your heart opens. And it's not just an individual act. There's something community-wide about God's calling and identity in Christ. Our Christian faith is not just Jesus and me, there's an usness going on. And furthermore, it's not just our congregation. Look at verse 2. Paul says we're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what's happening here on Sunday is not for just our church of a thousand, both in person and online. It's our church, our congregation, in connection with congregations locally and globally, some larger, some smaller, some in house churches, some in facilities, some in prisons, 
Some in caves, some mountainside, some beachside, some in secret, some public, some flourishing, some persecuted. We are a part of a worldwide family of believers whose identity is being formed by the will of God in Christ Jesus. So if I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a brother or a sister calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may be miles apart. We may be of different nationalities, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different experiences. But our calling in Christ produces a common identity from Christ and that common identity makes us one. And that's why Paul just explodes in gratitude to God, in amazement at God's grace and peace. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, that baby said. <laughs> Do you derive strength from your identity? <laughs> Does, does your identity take strength from you or give strength to you? If your identity is not giving you strength, you got the wrong identity. This identity, my goodness. I mean, it is a, it is, it is a well of living water. The story, the, the strength of identity in Paul and these Corinthians. Well, who were these Corinthians anyway? I'm glad you ask. Acts chapter 18 tells the story of how the gospel came to Corinth. Now, Corinth is located in Greece. And actually, Corinth is about 50 miles from Athens. There's a, some um, maps there. You can see there's upper part of Greece and the lower part of Greece and Corinth is right in that little neck of land and that little neck of land is called an isthmus an isthmus say that with me one two three isthmus an isthmus a little track of land let's see the next slide and there and so that little track of land where the star is that's where the city of Corinth was the ancient city of Corinth and that that little neck is is just four miles wide and so so you can see that Corinth was like a crossroads uh, between traffic that would go north and south and then also east and west. And so there were uh, harbors there. And um, so what would happen is uh, ships would either get their cargo off and it would be transported four miles or sometimes the whole ship was just carted across four miles. It saved several days of travel that little neck of land. So it was a busy, vibrant city. Let's take a look at the next slide. If you go to Corinth today, you'll see the ruins of what uh, was once this, this bustling city. And at the top of the screen, you can see it's called the Acrocorinth. The Acrocorinth. So it's a 2,000-foot-high summit that overlooks the main ruins of the city. Let's take a look at the next slide. And you can see the main street. I mean, this would have been where the Apostle Paul would have lived a year and a half in this ancient city of Corinth. 
And then there's another slide. This is a beautiful picture here of a full moon above uh, what was once the Temple of Aphrodite, up on top of that large summit, the Acrocorinth. And uh, actually, Corinth is a uh, touristy site uh, these days, and uh, I'll show you uh, in this next slide. So this is a canal that was dug in the 1890s. In the 1890s, took about 12 years to dig this canal across that four-mile isthmus that I told you about. And so the next slide will You'll see a little cruise ship just squeezes right through there. And then if you're a daredevil, you can see the next slide. And uh, anyway, I'm not. So anyway, I'll, I'll, enjoy the, I'll, I'll enjoy the view from the cruise ship. But uh, that's the city of Corinth. Uh, Corinth uh, was a Greek city that was destroyed by Rome in the year 146 B.C., uh, as Rome's empire was expanding, uh, Corinth was leveled by the Roman military. And for a century, it was just a pile of rubble. But in the year 44 B.C., Julius Caesar rebuilt Corinth from the ground up. And so Corinth became a Roman colony, that is, a piece of Rome on foreign soil. And so the architecture and the layout of the city and the remnants that you see, those, are all have, a, those have a Roman look to it. A hundred thousand people lived in that city, which was a quite a, a mega city for that day. Uh, it had a theater. It had athletic games. Every other year, there uh, was a, a series of games called the Isthmian Games. And Paul would have been in Corinth during one of those years. Uh, there was much diversity in Corinth. Hebrews, Greeks, Romans, slaves, uh, free merchants, laborers. Uh, it was a competitive city. It was a cutthroat city. When you entered Corinth, you immediately thought Caesar is in charge. Now, Paul came to Corinth around the year A.D. 50 or 51. And when he got to Corinth, he had had uh, harrowing experiences in four previous cities. In Philippi, he'd been flogged and imprisoned. In Thessalonica and Berea, he'd been threatened. In Athens, he was under pressure. When he got to Corinth, he was by himself. He was exhausted. He was away from his ministry team, his mission team. The scars uh, from the persecution he had received in Philippi were still healing. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, when we came into Macedonia, that's Greek, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts from the outside, fears from within. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Do you ever feel that way? In that space, God orchestrated circumstances in Corinth for Paul to meet a very healthy married couple named Aquila and Priscilla. You can read about them in Acts chapter 18. This couple uh, had been expelled from Rome because around the year AD 50, Claudius had ordered the Jews to leave Rome. 
and they came to Corinth as refugees. And uh, maybe they met Paul at the synagogue. Maybe they sat together. They had much in common. They were newcomers to Corinth. They were Jewish Christians. They were both tent makers, that is leather workers. When you read tent makers, uh, they were leather workers. That's, That's how Paul supported himself. And so Paul and Priscilla and Aquila uh, worked together in a trade that would have been in one of those shops by the main city of the ruins that you just saw, and they supported themselves. And, And so Paul supported himself by leather work, but then he preached the gospel as well. And the word of God began to change lives. People from this dark pagan background responded to Christ. Acts 18 verse 8 says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So embedded in this dark place of prostitutes and urban depravity are a people of Christ. Jesus said to Paul, I have many people in this city who are my people. So now get this, Corinth was not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Corinth was Las Vegas on steroids. And yet Paul kept preaching. And this tired, wounded, healing, lonely, apostolic messenger, he got the word out and then the word began to change lives because that's what the Bible does. And these Corinthians began to see the emptiness of their identity in their culture. And they received by grace through faith the rich, full, overflowing grace of an identity in Christ. I mean, these folks had come from just unbelievable backgrounds. Paul says as such in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. And such were some of you, Paul says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Don't you see the story of Corinth is a story of identity transformation. God called these Corinthians from an old identity into a new identity. For I've been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's an identity of grace and peace. And it's an identity in which we are, here's the word, sanctified. Sanctified. You see that in verse 2. To those sanctified. Now, I know that's a church word, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, to sanctify, here's what it means. To sanctify is, it's God's lifelong process of cleaning me up so that I am a useful instrument in his hand. 
That's what sanctify means. To sanctify is what God does to train me so that I am equipped and educated and skilled so that I can participate in his kingdom enterprise. That's that's what it means to be sanctified. To, to, To be sanctified, it's what God does to me to see to it that I will arrive where he wants me to be. Where does he want me to be? That's verse 8. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Don't you see? God is faithful. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Notice what verses 8 and 9 do not say. They do not say that God will save me if I stop believing. No, verses 8 and 9 say that God will keep me believing. God will keep me believing. God is faithful by whom you were called. Verse 6 speaks of the testimony that was confirmed or sustained among you. Verse 9 says, he will sustain you to the end. He will. Who are we? We are called. Called. That word appears three times in these nine verses. What's our story? It's a story of grace. We are are graced. That's verses 3 and 4. We are called. We are graced. We're enriched, we're confirmed, and we're sustained. Now, English teachers, English teachers, all those verbs are in what? The passive voice. The passive voice. The church is called, the church is graced, the church is enriched, the church is confirmed, the church is sustained. So, in other words... If we are being acted on, who is doing the acting? It's the answer to every question at Windsor Road Christian Church. Jesus! Jesus! So the strength of our identity comes through the story of our identity by the actor or savior of our identity. You get it? Nine times in these nine verses, the name Jesus appears. Is that what your Bible says? Nine times. Paul speaks of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other section of Scripture in Paul's letters does Paul pack a paragraph with so many named references to Jesus. That's important. Because Jesus is the one who is doing the acting. Jesus is the source. He's the Savior. He is our identity. He calls us. He confirms us. He sustains us. He gives us the gifts we have. Jesus, 
Every gift we need to persevere in these hard times has been given to us by the Savior of our identity. If we are not able to persevere or endure during this difficult season, it's not because we don't have the gifts. Because Jesus has given us all that we need to do what he wants us to do. Do you believe that? Say amen. Now here's the deal, and this is where it really gets good. Reading verses 1 through 9 by itself, would you have any clue that the Corinthian church is one of the most dysfunctional, divided, and toxic churches in the first century? You would never know that, would you? So, so here's a quick outline of the book. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 4, so chapters 1 through 4, the issue of divisiveness in the church is discussed. And these believers are just, they're just babies. They're just acting like babies. Well, keep, keep looking at chapter 1 for a minute. You'll see in verse 12, some of the believers are saying, well, I like Paul. I like Apollos. Well, I, 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 like, I like Peter. When Paul's preaching, that's when I'll come to church on Sunday because I like listening to Paul. I agree with Paul. So I agree with him, so I'll come because that makes me feel good. Yes, that's what I'll do. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, Paul, well, Peter baptized me. Well, Apollos baptized me. Well, you've got to be kidding me. That, read it. Is that what your Bible says? Well, my Bible says. Oh, and then in chapters 5, through chapter 15. Chapter 16 is just a conclusion and a wrap up and sincerely Paul, et cetera, et cetera. But chapters 5 through 15 just deal with a series of topics to which Paul responds, typically cued by the words, now concerning. Now concerning. Now concerning. So, so they had some questions they, they sent to Paul, and so Paul's responding with this letter. And in Many sections, it begins with the phrase, now concerning, now concerning. And, and some of these now concernings are of major concern. I mean, they are, they are concerning. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there's a very toxic situation going on. Uh, li Listen, is there, is there anybody here sleeping with their stepmother? Here? Okay, okay, that's, thank you, Good. So I didn't, I didn't think so. I just thought I'd ask the question uh, uh, because that's what's going on in chapter 5. All right? And, you know, we're just dealing with a little old national election. We'll be fine. This is a problem. This is a significant problem. These people had problems. Paul says, pagans don't even do what you're doing. And you're proud. Give this guy over to Satan. In order to save him. If you're going to be for him, you got to be against him. That, that's just chapter 5. <laughs> yeah. And then in chapter 6, Christians are suing each other. Taking each other to court. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's just a mess. But you would never know that from verses 1 through 9. And why? Because Paul is pleading identity. Here's who you are. 
He's, he's, he's front-loading. You know, I call it the Corinthian vaccine. <laughs> the identity. Here's who you are. Once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Who am I? I am Randall, husband to Sarah. Now, that's an identity statement. But embedded in that identity statement is a whole catalog of activities and limitations. You see? Paul speaks about identity. And our united identity in Christ is the strength of our union in Christ. Paul, Paul pleads with this church. He, you know, it's as if he's saying, before I, before I say anything else, let's frame the discussion around our identity. We are who God's word says we are. At physical birth, we were given an identity, and now spiritually, emerging from the baptistry is a picture of our new identity. You are not who the world says you are. You are not who you say you are. You are who God's Word says you are. In Christ, you're called. In Christ, we're sanctified. In Christ, we're given grace and peace. In Christ, we're enriched in learning. In Christ, we have every gift God wants us to have to do what God wants us to do. In Christ, we're sustained through every trial, every difficulty, every hardship, everything. Even when it costs us in the world. Sosthenes. Who was Sosthenes? You got to go back to Acts chapter 18. Because you see about a year and a half after Paul was in Corinth, Paul's religious enemies took him to court. A Roman court presided by a governor named Gallio. And Gallio heard Paul's case. Paul was accused. He was taken before a Roman governor. Paul was a Roman citizen. And Gallio threw the case out. No locust standi. No standing. And threw the case out. And Paul's enemies were so angry, they took it out on the senior minister of the synagogue. Sosthenes. Who was beaten right in front of the judge. Who paid no attention. I mean, it's not like Gallio was, was a friend or anything. He, just, he was just indifferent, you know. He, his, his interests were with Caesar and, and uh, elsewise he doesn't really care. And, and, so, and so get this. Sosthenes has no identity. Lost his job in the synagogue. Rome doesn't care. But then he calls on Christ. And Christ gives him an identity. And he joins Paul, and he gets the byline of this magnificent letter. Sosthenes, our brother. Our, he who was stripped of his identity was given a new identity in Christ. A united identity in Christ is the strength of our union in Christ. Church family, you are not your possessions, you're not your status. You're not your education. You're not your body type. You are not your bank account. You are not your circle of friends. You are not your vote. You're not. You're, your vote is your personal conscientious preference over a variety of governmental matters. Don't make it more than that. 
I'll tell you who you are. No, let God's word tell you who you are. You are called. You are saints. You are holy ones. Now, is who you want to be anything close to who God says you are? If, if your identity is not fixed to the unshakable love of Christ, you're going to look for your identity elsewhere, and that's never going to happen. But can you imagine a church where verses 1 through 9 are lived out? People who belong to one another because they belong to Jesus. People called to be saints together, not just locally, but worldwide. Not just loosely connected network of believers, but a spiritual family. They, we look out for one another, care for one another. Can you imagine a community with the assurance that Christ will sustain us to the end? Guiltless. Corinth was a colony established to represent Caesar. We are an embassy established to represent the Caesar, the King of Kings, a community that enjoys fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you imagine such a church? I want to belong to that church. Hey, we are that church. This is who we are. So then, let's live who God says we are. Because faith is becoming the people God says we are. Amen.